0: Hello and welcome to the In Session Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Etzler, joined today by News Post state government reporter Samantha Hogan. Samantha, how are you doing today?
1: Oh, it's fine, even though the weather has decided to turn on us once y- again. <laughs> yes,
0: it did. It sounded like you, uh, you, you kind of uh, maybe missed the beginning of that weather today, huh?
1: Well, I think I hit it just as it started to snow in Annapolis today because I was chasing uh, Senator Bobby Zirkin um, over to the Senate House, and we'll get to why later today on that. And then also, um, I had to inform Delegate Carol Krim what the weather was as I was leaving today because she and I both had probably not been outside for more than six hours at that point, and she was wrapping up a pretty uh, busy budget hearing.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, I want to get into some of the stuff that we, we mentioned on Monday. We're actually coming coming at everybody on, on time this week. We had a little bit of a hiccup last week with me, with my schedule. Um, but we talked about the bonds, uh, what would get funded and what wouldn't uh, from the county delegation. Um, and it sounded like there was a, a little bit of maybe some division within our, our delegation on what to fund.
1: Yeah. And that division really wasn't that they think some projects are better or worse than another. But it, it kind comes down to a question of what's in your district. And obviously they want to fund projects that are in their individual districts. And we have District A, 3A, we have 3B, and District 4. And the priorities in those districts can be quite different. So what we did have um, was almost a million dollars worth of local projects come in um, this session just from Frederick County alone. Cumulatively, across the state, we saw 90 million dollars worth of projects come in. And unfortunately, there's only 15 million dollars. In the budget to fund all of the state prior local priorities, and that's divided at seven and a half million in each chamber. So, the Frederick County delegates got together actually on Monday and they sat down, they were trying to rank their priorities because of a new process of how the capital budget is going to be put together. Um, There appeared initially to be some agreement that what was in the governor's budget um, was um, items that they all generally supported. However, after speaking um, a little bit uh, more in depth with individuals, um, it appears that Senator Young, who was not at the meeting, and then Delegate Karen Lewis-Young aren't sold actually on everything that's been already um, authorized in the governor's initial budget, which came out in January. Um, They're concerned that there aren't a lot of projects that are directly inside their district of 3a and so they're actually hoping to get some money as well as some money for the downtown hotel which hasn't really come up that much this session but it's still a big project for people that have a district that includes the city of frederick
0: okay um and and so what did you get a sense of any um i I guess kind of unanimous feeling on any of these projects? Was there one specific or a couple specific projects that you got a good feeling about or a bad feeling about or oh, was absolutely. it all kind of up in the air?
1: Absolutely. So when I have followed up with individuals on the $500,000 that the governor put in for a detox center in the county, that has pretty strong support across the board. Um, really believe that that's something that needs to be uh, focused on because of the opioid crisis. Um, there also seems to be general support as well for the $400,000. Dollars that's been put in for a South County YMCA. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you get down into the more nitty-gritty smaller projects, you know, we're seeing these divisions along district lines. So what we actually saw was that um, the District 4 representatives who are Dan Cox, uh, Jesse Pippi, and Barry Siliberti were all on the same page that they wanted to do infrastructure first. So um, they are um, hoping to put money towards... um, Uh, repairs for Yorty Springs in Brunswick, which is a portion of their drinking water infrastructure. They're asking for $100,000 on what could ultimately be a $500,000 project. They're also hoping to put $155,000 towards the um, design and construction of another opioid recovery house um, that would be run by the Crossroads Freedom Center. Um, and then there's some other uh, smaller projects that would be related to historical societies and museums. Um, those have a little bit of overlap between the two, um, the, the District 4s and the District 3s, but for different ones. So we have the Museum of the Ironworker up in Thurmont. We also have um, a, a Burkittsville Preservation Association is trying to take care of a, an, another uh, building And Heritage Frederick is also looking to do some repairs as well. So it'll be interesting to see. We know that we're going to get some of the pot of the money, but we don't know how much.
0: Right, right. And I want to move on to um, another funding issue, uh, not necessarily related to bonds or, or kind of cap more capital projects, um, but locally... Uh, we learned earlier in the session that Crest was left out, our, our regional higher education center in Frederick was left out of the governor's budget. Uh, it sounds like some things have changed. Is that right?
1: That's right. So we're talking a matter, I think, of an hour. Um, This uh, piece of paper landed on my desk um, inside a pretty lengthy um, House Appropriations uh, Committee um, budget uh, meeting that we had. And what you find is that they actually were able to find $50,000 to assign to Crest uh, through the Regional Higher Education uh, Center. It's an operating grant essentially to get them through the end of the year. It's being looped in with uh, about eight other projects. And uh, what it would require is for $16 million to be appropriated to the Maryland Technology Infrastructure Fund um, to add uh, money for several projects. So this money is far from guaranteed at this point. But as uh, Delegate Carol Krim said to me immediately afterwards, you know, getting it into the budget was the first hurdle. So the fact that we have that money as a placeholder at least um, is good. It's got to go through the Senate. It's probably going to face some other things. So we're We're going to be watching and make sure it doesn't get cut, but this is actually a very positive step um, for the program. Something, though, that uh, Senator Ron Young has said to me is that they really need to turn around and have results this year. They need Mm -hmm. to work on the things that they're going to be measured on by the state because we can't just have the Frederick delegation every single year scraping for pennies at the last second hoping for a budget amendment in order to get Crest funding. They've got to do some substantial work this year um, towards what they're going to be measured by by the state.
0: Right. Uh, and, and so you mentioned that's only about an hour old. Also today, there was uh, uh, some drama regarding the uh, repealing of the handgun permit review board. Uh, and you were at that or uh, I believe you're covering that meeting. Is that correct? Or that hearing?
1: Yeah. So I was at that meeting this morning and um, this was kind of a. A thrown together meeting. Um, We talked about last time how this is not typically what the Executive Nominations Committee in the Senate would be doing. Usually they're reviewing um, nominees from the governor for um, appointments that require Senate approval, Um, but it was a joint meeting today between the Executive Nominations Committee and the Senate uh, Judicial Proceedings Committee. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of the Judicial Proceedings uh, members couldn't be there. They had a lot of other conflicts, so we had a few people moving in and out, and then all of them had to end up leaving at 10 for another commitment, Um, but what essentially they did today was have a hearing, um, and they got to hear people that were in support of repealing this board, Um, and then they also got to hear from a lot of individuals who um, added some nuance, actually, to this conversation, because it's not just about whether the Maryland State Police are denying an individual for having a good and substantial reason to carry a concealed handgun, but they're adding restrictions onto the license of when they can carry the concealed handgun. And what you heard again and again was people were business owners; they qualified for a concealed handgun permit because of what they were doing, but the restriction on their license said that they could only do it while con- they could only carry the gun while conducting business. Well, if you can only carry it while you're conducting business, what happens on your drive into work? What happens on your drive home from work? Can you stop and get? Gas while you have the gun with you. How do you justify that to a police officer when, if you get pulled over, that you are conducting business? So, this actually has given some members of the executive nominations committee um pause and what had originally been thought might be a vote today or something that could uh, have been a vote even next monday when they're next to uh scheduled to meet is looking like they're actually going to need to give this a week for all of them to dig a little bit deeper into it um and so we're gonna i'm gonna be following that closely for sure
0: right and um i i want to you mentioned i think earlier uh this this morning that there was um There was some drama with that with with maybe a former person on the board. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so we uh, we did have um, a woman who was, formerly served on the state's handgun permit review board. And, um, you know, her demeanor was very different from everyone else um, who had presented up to that point. They were given a very limited a one minute window to essentially make their point because the um, senators had to be in the Senate chambers by 1030 that morning, which only gave them an hour and a half to conduct this hearing. They started a little bit late. They started about 10 minutes late. And she was frustrated by that. She's like you know you guys start late you only give us a minute there's no way for you guys to fully understand what this board is you're just coming in here to destroy it but unfortunately when her minute was up she spoke over uh senator ron young who's the chairman of the executive nominations committee three times and security ended up did coming down taking her from her chair as she continued to shout her testimony as she was escorted out of the room um the rest of the committee did say afterwards they thanked everyone else for being very civil throughout the process. Um, I think it's just, you know, it's very it's a very emotional topic. You know, uh, Maryland is not very pro-gun, and so for these individuals who are serving in a capacity to provide an appeals process that's not a formal judicial process um, for individuals that are seeking a concealed handgun permit, you know, they, they're passionate about this issue for a reason.
0: Right, I've I've learned uh, in my brief time around Maryland politics that if there is one issue that uh, folks get passionate about, it is uh, the gun topic. But there was another issue, passionate issue, and it sounded like uh, a, a little heart wrenching at times. Um, and this was in yesterday's paper, so um, it, it would have happened on on Wednesday um, in the House passing. Uh, the uh, aid to die bill or death with dignity bill um, that Karen Lewis young had, had signed on as a co-sponsor for is that right
1: yeah so we, we a bunch of us were pretty surprised actually and when I say we I say reporters that cover the general Assembly a bunch of us flocked in um, to the general uh, to the House chambers earlier this week because um, during the second reading of a bill um uh, delegates can present amendments, they can have debate on them, they take individual votes on amendments. All of us were there sitting in our chairs ready for probably multiple hours of discussion and the minority leader in the chamber ultimately decided, uh, said, stood up, said that he was going to save his debate for third reader and the, the, the chamber moved on. And so what essentially was going to happen was that there was going to be no amendments to the bill. So we came back a day later. and um, we listened to some really gut-wrenching testimony by numerous members of the chamber who stood and told stories about family members, friends, former colleagues, even who had been elected representatives and had served with many of them, um, who either lost a battle or survived a little bit longer than was anticipated with a terminal illness. And so for those, those, each of those different stories had really compelled people to have a deep-seated belief that you shouldn't or you should, you know, support this bill. And what essentially it does is if you are terminally ill and you have been given a diagnosis that you have less than six months to live, you can request both orally and written to your doctor with wait uh, wait periods built in asking for a prescription for a medication that you can self-administer to yourself that will aid your passage. So you will die after taking that medication. And this is in practice in other states already in the U.S. um, But it has been something that the General Assembly has really struggled with since this came up about in 2015. And the bill has evolved over time, and actually, this time it's called the End of o- uh, Life Option Act. And we still saw that, you know, people are still having a really difficult time with this concept because the vote was probably one of the closest that Delegate Karen Lewis Young had said that she had ever seen in her five sessions. And that was a vote of 74 to 66. That's a margin of eight votes um, to move this um, beyond the House. So it is most likely going to come up in the Senate. Um, it's currently with judicial proceedings um, in on the Senate side. Senator Bobby Zirkin, who is in charge of that committee, uh, did say that he expects there to be some kind of vote. Um, he wasn't going to say what that vote was ultimately going to be, but that would progress the bill out on the Senate side. So I don't think that this is over. We only have four weeks left in, left in session that, though, so so we kind of got to see how quickly the committee moves on this on the Senate side and if then if there are differences between the two bills those are going to have to be reconciled and voted on as well so this is far from becoming law um, and there definitely could be some legal changes because this will be coming out of you know a, a, a committee that specifically looks at the law when it's considering bills so um, an interesting debate is still to come.
0: You You mentioned there's only four weeks left and So that leaves um, some uphill battles for some bills and, you know, if they haven't progressed along. And I think some of our legislators saw that this week and and have it looks like postponed or put off some bills uh, for for next session. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so unfortunately, if you receive an unfavorable vote on your bill in committee, it's basically an insurmountable task to overcome that um, in a single session. And so what a lot of people do is they either withdraw a bill before a committee can vote on it, knowing that it has problems, knowing that it has issues, things that they want to correct um, before uh, they try and take it to a vote. Um, or sometimes you get a vote, as was as was true for uh, Senator Ron Young and uh, Delegate Karen Liu, Young um this week who talked to me about some of the bills that they have let go of um there was a a lottery um bill that would have allowed um some of the fraternal organizations such as the Elks to um have instant ticket lottery machines added um that would that would have then put 10 percent of its uh revenue essentially uh towards veterans programs to address veterans homelessness and other um equity issues for veterans. Um, Unfortunately, that ended up getting uh, an unfavorable report, which was actually surprising because it had 10 co-sponsors from the Senate Budget and Tax Committee, and ultimately eight of those uh, individuals flipped on the bill. And that may have been related to a letter that came from the Maryland Lottery and Gaming Control Agency, which uh, stated some potential problems with the bill without taking a formal position on it. It's something that Senator Ron Young said that he's going to look into more deeply and see if it's something that he can revise and bring back next year once he gets a better grasp on what went wrong um something that also happened was um uh delegate karen lewis young had a bill in that would have required um individuals convicted of animal abuse to register much similar to a sex abuse registry um and our sex offender registry and so that got voted down in um, the Judiciary Committee in the house 16 to 5 um, including two no votes um, from delegate Dan Cox and delegate uh, Jesse Pippi I spoke to delegate Dan Cox the next day on why this was something that he wasn't supportive of and he is a lawyer he runs a practice up in Emmitsburg and he um, kind of described to me his philosophy against these kinds of registries and it, for him it's a constitutional concern about whether we are requiring individuals to um, continue to register beyond um, their sentence and beyond their parole and what kind of constitutional uh, questions that brings up with cruel and unusual punishment. Um, So in Delegate Karen Lewis's Young Bill, they would have been required to register for 15 years after um, uh, their sentence and that's a substantial amount of time. Um, now, there is an interesting bill that the House Minority Leader has brought up, which would require a registry for violent criminals. Um, we're talking people that commit abductions, murders, manslaughter, rape. Um, and so that is something that Cox is considering supporting. It's got to look a little bit more at the details of the bill, um, but he is also planning to vote in favor of that um, if it comes up for a vote later this session. Um uh, Yeah, and then in a surprising turn of events, I also just want to point to one bill uh, that did end up passing the Senate um, recently that Frederick County's delegation had preemptively pulled itself out of. And that was at the request of County Executive Jan Gardner um, for an agro-tourism bill that would have allowed up to 200 people to go into an existing uh, farm structure um, for events. There's concern in the county code um, that we have um, agro-tourism, Tourism, um, beer and spirits, um, uh, events that are allowed to be permitted. And if you're talking about 200 people drinking and and being in a farm structure that might not have a sprinkler system, but does have adequate um, enter entrances and exits, it just gave her some question and gave her some pause. She was kind of caught off guard by the proposal of the bill. But what's ironic is Anne Arundel County had also put in the same bill which then five other counties uh, were amended into, including Allegheny, Baltimore, Kent, Prince George's and St. Mary's, and it passed the Senate. Um, And so this is this is this is an interesting thing. I don't know if Frederick County is going to reevaluate it. um, And maybe it's something that they want to come back and consider next year. But, you know, we pumped the brakes really hard on that one. And then it ended up working out for other counties. Um, And I know from a, you know, a strict agro, agro tourism perspective, when you're, talking about pumpkin patches and and um apple picking and all these other you know more traditional um hayride um agritourism events christmas tree shopping um they wanted this potentially to move forward. So this might be a a slight blow for Frederick County, um, but maybe it's something that they can correct um, in another year. The only other thing I also want to talk about though is a bill that we are still seeing moving through the General Assembly, which is the Clean Energy Jobs Act, um, which is being sponsored by uh, Senator Brian Feldman out in Montgomery County. This is something that I wrote on extensively last year, and this is uh, trying to take Maryland to 50% renewable energy by 2030. Now this is part of our renewable portfolio standard as a state um, and we have um, increased it several times since 2004 but currently we're only at 25% of our um, energy sources in the state being represented by renewable energy and what I mean by that is that All of our electricity comes off the PJM grid. And so we do buy and sell credits um, that could be for a solar field in um, Ohio, or it could be a um, hydroelectric dam in another state as well. So we buy and trade those credits. So it's not per se renewable energy that is made inside the state, which can um, make it a little bit contentious. But what we are seeing is Senator Michael Huff um, from Frederick and Carroll saying, trying to pull out waste energy incinerators out of those tier one eligible credit sources. So he has a separate bill from the Clean Energy Jobs Act, though the waste to energy removal is also in the Clean Energy Jobs Act. And um, there's just some interesting conversations going on here. You know, we have a Democrat, a Democrat, uh, a Democrat uh, Brian Feldman, and then we have a Republican, um, Michael Huff, all working towards the same goal, which is saying that when you burn trash, it shouldn't be counted as a renewable credit in the state. But there is problems because we definitely meet some of our renewable energy goals currently through trash incineration and where does that trash go if we don't burn it it's something i'm personally very interested in and i continue to follow um those did get hearings uh this week and last week in um annapolis um something that they're really hoping will make it out onto the floor but like we said four weeks left uh so we'll have to see if it can pull through
0: right and and there was one other uh while we're talking about the environment there was one other environmental bill uh that has has been um Uh, has been a big deal throughout the session thus far, and that's the uh, potential ban on plastic foam, which made some progress. It got through, uh, I believe, the Senate this week. Uh, Where does things stand with that, and is that something we can expect to come up next week, or is that down the line a little bit?
1: I definitely think we can see this um, coming up for a vote next week because, as you said, it's past the Senate, but what happened today was the bill was uh, debated on the floor of the House. It was slightly amended. The two bills are not identical between the two chambers, but it wasn't completely destroyed either. Um, delegate Learman from Baltimore is the one that is uh, working it through on the House. She was very optimistic when I spoke to her that they could um, reconcile the bills or that one bill would be fine or the other um, so that she didn't have much concern um, that one was Deficient, so I definitely think we're going to see a vote on that. We're also probably going to see on Monday a vote in the Senate on the $15 minimum wage. Uh, they met early in the morning, um, the two chambers, to discuss the uh, the the differences between the bills. So uh, that has moved out of committee on the uh, Senate side. They do have some kind of agreements going on. We're going to have to see what the senators want to amend on the floor, how they want to debate this. But we're that is currently. Scheduled to come back on Monday. So plastic uh, plastic foam or styrofoam or polystyrene, whatever you want to call it, definitely moving in the House. $15 minimum wage, definitely moving in the Senate. Um, Aid in Dying, End of Life Option Act, we're expecting to come out of uh, Senate committee potentially next week, hopefully, um, if that debate is going to happen. So lots of things are moving. Like I said, I just got back from the budget discussions that were literally happening an hour ago. So um, and the uh, Appropriations Committee has agreed on a bill, uh, a, a budget bill and a BRFA. So a lot of things are moving. We're in a time crunch, but we're going to see a lot of stuff happen over the next uh, four weeks.
0: And in an offbeat bill, uh, you were telling me before we came on, which I had I was not aware of, uh, for those 51 percent of people who get divorces, I guess it's going to get a little bit easier, potentially?
1: Um, Well, I I don't know if the intent was to make it easier. So I did happen to just be in a uh, judiciary voting session because I did uh, just want to see where a couple things went, and that's how we found out that Delegate uh, Karen Lewis-Young's animal abuse registry bill had been uh, voted down. But while I was there, they also had a bill about um, qualifications for divorce. And currently, as the law is written, you have to be physically separated for a year. And so that was burdensome on some lower um, pe- people of lower financial means where they couldn't afford mm. to physically be living in two separate houses before a divorce. And so what they had carved out was a loss of affection— Which um, if you and your um, husband or your wife had not been... Intimate in 12 months, uh, then it, that was considered a, a, a loss of affection. And um, one of the male um, representatives in the room said, "Well, oh, this this could be a you could be blindsided by this." <laughs> and the looks that some of the the female delegates gave him, and I, I believe one said, uh, "If you haven't been intimate in a year and you're blindsided, I can't help you." So <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, some and and then the chairman did acknowledge that I was in the room. He's like, "Oh, these are the days. I'm so happy that the press are here." And he was being a bit sarcastic, <laughs> and I'm turning red because I don't want to. I don't want to know what goes on in people's bedrooms or homes, you know. But it, you know, these are the these are the funny, um, but serious items that uh, delegates and senators get to deal with at the state level, and. So that is a potential um, change coming to our divorce uh, law, and um, I had a I had a funny time listening to it and, and hearing the different perspectives on whether or not that would be blindsiding or not.
0: <laughs> now I have I have a serious question about this before we leave. Okay. They de- have they defined intimate in this bill?
1: You know, I personally hadn't read it. I was inadvertently uh, there when that uh, came up for discussion, um, but I could look into that for you if that if if <laughs> if, uh, if our listeners would be interested. It's a it's of um, little relevance to my real up.
0: life, but I could see that potentially being problematic. Oh, absolutely. If people have absolutely. different definitions of what uh, what intimacy entails, that's a, that's a very interesting bill. Um, Maybe the intent wasn't you know, to make the divorce easier, but I think it does. And then you heard easier, from some of them as
1: well. They're like, well, well, what if you sleep in different bedrooms because one of you always snores?
0: Well, and that's like, my well, real life, yeah. <laughs> that happens to me, actually.
1: Yeah, so I mean, and you know, it's a terrible thing. Deviated septums can be repaired, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> You know, I think I think ultimately it, it's just it's trying to look more out for individuals who physically cannot afford the financial burden of of physically separating a home before um, moving through the divorce proceedings, and so they had carved out um, this other way of of showing separation, which is I'm sure something that individuals are already going through if they are going through divorce. Proceedings, This is something, you know, probably a qualification. So this is just putting it into plain language in the law, um, a- another way for a judge to interpretation a request for a divorce
0: that That is a a fascinating bill. i'm I'm actually excited to see what happens with it, even though it's kind of irrelevant for uh, at least many of us, I would I would assume. Anyway, um, that that's all the time we have for today, Samantha. I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, what are we looking forward to next week?
1: Like I said, uh, $15 minimum wage, potential end of life, uh, styrofoam. So several things that you've heard from us before on um, budget. Um, but we will just keep trucking along and following these bills for you and uh, letting you know what's coming down the pipe for Frederick County.
0: How many days left?
1: Uh, I think today was 32. So I think we'll be 31 on Monday. And and they are meeting for bond bills actually on uh, both Sunday and Monday. So somewhere in the 30s, somewhere in the very low
0: 30s. Time is ticking. Time is ticking, legislators. Samantha, thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you next week.
1: Thanks so much. Have a nice week.